Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey gang, this podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. As you all know, this is a business that I started to give back more to conservation. We roast premium coffee, and our coffee ships out within six hours of roasting, guaranteeing that you get the freshest coffee available at your doorstep. The kicker, we donate 10% of all of our proceeds back to conservation. You choose where the donation goes at checkout. You can check us out at skullbrewcoffee.com. And for a limited time, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and get 15% off your purchase. So let's do some good together and help protect wild places one cup at a time. Visit skullbrewcoffee.com and pledge your support of conservation today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 107. Today, John and I are joined by Cody DeQuisto and Chad Sylvester for a roundtable discussion where we answer your listener questions. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well out there. I just got back from this past weekend. I was at the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg again, hanging out with my buddies from Exodus. Of course, John was there with with Wicked and Glacier. Got to spend some time with some friends, ran into some of the folks over at BHA Pennsylvania uh, chapter, of course. So all a good time was had by all. But I had uh, on my drive home, I was just kind of thinking about deer season because I got kind of stoked after we recorded this podcast there today. And I have to say that I probably need to temper my enthusiasm just a little bit for deer season because otherwise I'm going to have a super long winter and a, a very long spring and summer. I'm already kind of jazzed up. I did pick up, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last podcast up front, but I did pick up uh, while I was at the show a new release. So I started kind of, I mentioned this before that I wanted to start trying to shoot you know, a thumb release or some some form or fashion of, of back tension release. And the thumb release, I guess, is a 
a, a method of that if, if, if you use it properly. So I ended up picking up a Carter just because uh, release and have been working with that a little bit. So I do need to make some tweaks to my setup uh, to make sure that I'm kind of comfy with everything, make sure uh, my body is aligned the way it needs to be, but did just kind of start playing around with it at the house here a little bit. And man, I got to tell you, I, I really like it. It's something I've been kind of wanting to make the change to. And, uh, I finally just kind of decided to to take the plunge and making the transition thus far. I'm uh, just kind of playing around with it a little bit that I've got the opportunity to, it's not, um, it hasn't been that overwhelming. You know, I, I think, you know, one of the things I'm doing is I'm starting kind of small and shooting just short distances, you know, I haven't shot beyond 15 yards with it at this point, just trying to get, comfy with it. I'll be hitting, hitting my buddy up old Greg, uh, Greg Litzinger, the bow hunting fiend. I'll be headed over to his place to put the bow on the press here at some point to, to, to try to tighten some things up and, and, and make sure that, it, you know, I'm set up, you know, properly. It's like, there's always the argument of, you know, are you changing your draw length? Or are you changing your D loop? You know, that's the little bit of, you know, five, six and one half dozen in the other. Cause right now, you know, I'm, however you want to frame it, whether it's draw length, it's not draw length specifically, but because I changed releases, my anchor points have changed, I guess is the best way to put it. So I have to solve for how I kind of readjust my anchor points to make sure everything is as it should be. And my head's not dipping too much whenever I'm trying to get into my peep and, you know, and and all those things are kind of in the right places. So there's a bunch of different ways you can solve for that. Um, And what I'm going to do is just really go spend a day with Greg um, at his place and do some shooting and some testing and, uh, trying a couple of different things of, you know, maybe it's, I might be placing my, my hands incorrectly, you know, and, and anchoring incorrectly with the new release. So we're going to check it, check that out. Might need to lengthen a D loop, might need to add a little bit of draw length. It just, it just kind of depends. There's, you know, it's one of those things we were texting back and forth and his comment was you change one thing, you change everything. So we're going to kind of take a look at that and then hopefully I'll be kind of ship shape. And then at that point I'll be able to order and get my new bow in, which I'm pretty, pretty stoked about because I was shooting the Obsession Fixation this past year, which was a super rad bow. And they have a shorter bow that came out this year. So I shot it at ATA. The I think John and I mentioned that when we did our ATA kind of recap, but the FX30 is a 30-inch axle to axle bow that Obsession's putting out this year. And um, it shoots really well. I, I really like it. So that's what I'm actually going to end up shooting this year. So before I make that plunge, I want to kind of figure out if I'm going to lengthen my draw length at all to compensate for, um, you know, kind of repositioning my, my anchor points and stuff like that. Look, I wouldn't be upset if I got an extra half inch of draw since I, since I do have the Tyrannosaurus Rex arms at 26 and a half inches. Uh, so 27 would, would, would make me feel better, but I'm not going to do anything hasty and, uh, add draw length. If it's not, if it's not required, if I can fix it another way by adding some D loop or just moving my peep around and stuff like that. Cause I want to make sure, First and foremost, that I'm I'm comfortable and that I'm shooting accurately, um, you know, and, and not necessarily worry about so much my my draw length. Not going to get into the uh, the macho contest, but enough of that on the on this upfront. I have a super super cool show for you guys today. So on today's show, we have Cody DeQuisto, uh, Chad Sylvester from Exodus is coming back. Cody, of course, of of uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear and, and XOP, and then my brother from another mother, of course, Johnny Utah is on as well. And we were all at Harrisburg together. And, uh, it was one of those things I was, you know, talking to Cody for a little while and trying to get him on the show. <clears throat> and, uh, we just kind of kept missing each other through hunting season with you know, everything that goes on with hunting and, um, and all those things. And then, of course we hit the show time and stuff like that with the ATA and then Harrisburg and then there's the Iowa classic and so forth. Um, so it just kind of felt right that we should just kind of do it while we were live and in person. And then as we st- started kind of talking, it's like, you know, we all kind of know each other. And we thought, you know, what would be a cool idea was just kind of take a lot of the questions that you guys have sent in. And so thank you first and foremost for sending these in. And we thought it would be cool just to kind of have a roundtable discussion with four hunters 
uh, four dudes that kind of know each other a little bit, some better than others. And we all have a similar style in terms of that we all hunt mobile. Um, we all hunt somewhat aggressively in different kind of ways. You know, of course, Cody being pretty aggressive, Chad's really aggressive, and um, John's an aggressive hunter too, but John and I probably kind of teeter more on the um, the patient side of aggressiveness or calculated aggressiveness or however you, however you want to say it, but just a little bit different. So we thought, you know, in, some folks are hunting out of tree stands, I'm hunting out of saddles. So we thought it would be really cool just to kind of have a roundtable discussion to answer your questions and see, you know, what the discussion kind of held with four different perspectives and four different points of view. So that's what we set out to do today. It was a really cool discussion. Um, had a great time doing it. Definitely going to try to do a few more of these. I know that we're all going to be at the Iowa Deer Classic. Um, so I think that we're going to try to get back together while we're, while we're in Iowa at the beginning of March and kind of do a round two of this. So if you have burning questions that you want answered and you'd like the four of us to answer it, um, go ahead and shoot me a direct message on Facebook or Instagram or shoot me an email and send me whatever questions you have and we'll try to, and we'll try to fit them in. So without further ado, uh, let's go ahead and take care of the business end of this jam and talk about our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. We are brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest, lastest, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? Tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. And right now, when you visit wickedtreegear.com, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and get yourself a 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. We're also brought to you by Exodus Outdoor Gear. Of course, I was hanging out with those dudes at the Great American Outdoor Show. If you haven't heard, they have recently released their render camera, which is the cell camera that everyone has kind of been waiting for. These guys had a prototype about 18 months ago and kind of held off um, as they knew that there were a lot of kind of challenges people were having with cell cameras. So they kind of took all that into consideration and went back to the wood shop and put together a kick-ass camera that solved a lot of the problems that cell cameras were having on, on the market. Um, the cool, super cool thing is, is that it's, it's, it's a, it's a cell camera that you don't have to ha- worry about what plan you have on your phone itself. It's run through an app. Um, and the app will control from any device. Doesn't matter if you're Apple, you know, us cellular or, you know, Verizon, whatever the case might be, you'll be able to control that cell camera from your phone through that app, get all your pictures directly to that app and not have to worry about your cell provider right now. They're doing a presale. On these bad boys, uh, I believe the regular price is three thirty-five, and their sale price right now. If you pre-order, you can pick this camera up for two ninety-nine. So you want to want to make sure to jump on that because I know they only have a limited amount of inventory left for their for their pre-sale. And then these bad boys will ship out in April, uh, so you will have it in plenty of time for Velvet Fest. So don't delay. Head over to ExodusOutdoorGear.com and pick up the render pre-sale, or you can pick up a lift or a trek. They have those in stock, of course, too. We're also brought to you by Tech Amani Seed. Everything is bigger and better in Texas. No matter if you're in the South, Midwest, or Northeast, Tech Amani has your food plot seed needs covered. I'll be getting ready to do a little bit of frost seeding on the family property here in the not-so-distant future. So visit techamani.com and check out the product selector tool to help you pick the right food plot seed for your needs. Use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save 20%. We're also brought to you by Glacier Coolers, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, camping, or fishing, you'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Be sure to pick one of these up. They are as badass as any of those high-dollar coolers on the market, but for a working man's budget. So pick, uh, visit them at GlacierCoolers.com. Use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save yourself 20%. And now without further ado, let's get the crew on the line. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. We're here at the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg, the, the end of the train. 
everyone's looking a little a little worse for wear, a little haggard, like Merle, maybe. Yeah, no, I'm good, man. You good? Yeah, you feeling strong, Cody? I'm wrecked. You're wrecked? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Need a break. Yeah. yeah. Chad, I'm, how are you? I'm with Cody. I'm you're, wrecked. You're with Cody? I'm ready to get the hell home. Yeah. Cool. It's, been, it's been a long time. Yeah, and now has. we got like a snowstorm coming in, I think. Yeah, we're no. driving into like yeah. the bad stuff. No, yeah. no, no. Nice. There's the only way to travel though from a, from a show, right? Well, we got like a 36 foot box truck. We're we're like ice road trucking it. Uh, the ice ice road sure. trucking that's, it. We're gonna fall you. Nice, nice. So today we're doing a little bit of a different format. We do have Facebook Live, or I'm sorry, Instagram Live going. So we'll try to capture some uh, questions from anyone out there listening. Um, usually John and I do do a session. We have a guest on. We do an interview. But since we had a crew here together today, we figured we'd do a roundtable discussion. And we had some folks. Write questions in for John and I to kind of cover, but we figured what better way to cover questions and to kind of cover it from a bunch of different angles, from a bunch of different dudes that hunt a bunch of different ways. So that's kind of what the the format will be today. So before we start, though, we should probably do some intros around uh, so everyone knows who's on the panel. So first to my left, Cody DeQuisto. Yep. yep. From Lone Wolf Custom Gear, XOP. How you doing? Yep. Good, good. Good? Yeah. Feeling good? Feeling good. Awesome. Ready to, ready to talk, about, uh, talk about some whitetails. Nice. Johnny Utah, as you guys all know him from Arrow Wild and Wicked Tree Gear, Tecamani, my brother from another mother. That's right. That's right. Chad Sylvester, who is also like my brother from another mother. I feel like I could be like the third co-host of Truth Domestic. <laughs> I'm like sneaking in behind John. <laughs> yep. <laughs> nice. So let's get this party started. The first question that came in, and this will we'll tee up just an easy one here to get kind of get things started, and we'll start with, with Cody here. We'll just kind of go left to right. So the question that uh, this fella had was, do we ever use estrus or any type of lures during the season to bring in deer, and how do we use scents just in general across the season? I have never once used a deer scent. No? Nope. No scents, no uh, no peas, no cover scents. Um, yeah. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can't speak on that. I know guys who have good luck, but i just never done it. Right. Um, I've never tried it yet. Yeah. John? Um, so I didn't even know what they were when I first started hunting. And then once I did find out what they were, it was like everybody who starts like picking up rattling horns, you do it every single time you get in the woods or whatever. You don't know any better. Right. So I wouldn't go into the woods without deer pee. I mean, I was spraying it on myself, mouthwash, whatever. And then now uh, I use it like way more strategically. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I missed it and then I walk into it, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, no, now I use it a lot more strategic. Uh, if I have a buck, like, uh, and we talked about this on the podcast that we recorded a few days ago. If you have a, a buck that hits a scrape and then like an hour later, a little scrub buck hits a scrape and then that big buck comes right back 10 minutes later, I'm like, okay, he's a territorial buck. He's in the area and buck you know, urine might be the thing to like get him, you know, piss him off, you know, kind of thing. So right. I use it. Uh, I do like it that, um, and I probably use it more early season, you know, trying to capitalize on that. As soon as they go hard horn, mm-hmm. they're ready to rack. Right. And instead of being one of a million does, I want to be the first doe. Right. Um, so those are like the times I use it the most now. Uh, but again, very strategically, you know, right. How about you there? Rodeo? Um, somewhere in the middle of the two, I guess, you know, um, most of the stuff I do on public, I, I have played with sense a little bit and whether I'm doing something wrong or the product just isn't, isn't there, I've never had them work. 
Yeah. So at this point, it's like I just I don't waste my time or my money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of in the same in, in the same boat. I don't know. I don't know. To your point, it's because I'm hunting a lot of public and stuff like that. If it, and I'm hunting Pennsylvania too, which sure you know it's how many guys are in the timber with sense doing something right so that just becomes a negative kind of association for them most yeah. of the time you know yeah. I mean? i've tried every brand you can kind of think of i've yeah. tried drag ropes i've tried just kind of putting it on the bottom of my shoes to cover my scent whenever i've been walking in i've mm-hmm. tried hanging something from the tree like a wick of some sort to just see if i could get something to catch a whiff but to uh to no avail so i'm kind of in the same boat with chad it's uh yeah I don't waste my time too much. Now, when rut does get late and I haven't seen anything, I will start, like, freaking out a little bit. Going, like, I need to cover some, myself in some yeah. dough piss or something. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, so. I'm the only sucker. <laughs> well, I've well, seen – I mean, to, to, your, to that point, though, I mean, listening to what you're saying, it sounds like – If it's working, well, I feel man, like yeah. that, that's a good strategic way to use it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so it's uh, – I could definitely see that, bringing a buck in there yeah. Yeah. and being the first one. And, I think – if people were to use it, I think in the fashion of using mock scrapes and in scrapes is the way to do it, not putting drag ropes on your feet. And I mean, I was all, yeah, teach I was, their own, but I never, got, I never really got that. Like, yeah, access is such a big deal. Why would you want? Yeah, yeah. Why yeah, would you yeah, want to draw yeah. an animal well, to cross your access? And like, maybe even more sense. so now because of you know, there has been light years of scent elimination technology that's come out like on your walk in or on your trail in. Um, I think a lot of guys probably did it almost as cover scent. Yeah. You know, I don't want to yeah. smell like a, a dirty human walking in. At least I'll smell like a dirty doe. Right. I think. Um, the old DDs. I think somebody back in the day um, was using that, that, uh, that deer piss for the drag rope mm-hmm. uh, feature of it or whatever. And I'm sure bucks get on it and they, and they follow it. But I've had big mature bucks cut my track and follow it. Like with, with no scent. They do that. Yeah. Deer do yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. I think it was a it was like coincidental. Like, yeah. oh shit, oh, yeah. man. I was I did the drag rope and it worked. It worked. Yeah, exactly. I guarantee that buck was yeah. probably cut that track and was seeing what the hell it was yeah. and seeing where it went and made sure it left his area and then he got shot. And I, then everybody's like, Oh shit. It works. Yeah. yeah. I think we sometimes drag underplay rope. underplay their curiosity. You know what I mean? Oh, I, know, sure. I know this year whenever yeah. I was in the stand, whenever I had that one nice deer in the swamp that I was hoping to see. He came in while I was getting set up because he heard something scraping a tree, and he was just kind of wondering, who yeah. the hell's in my spot? Yeah. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? He was just yeah. kind of coming in to check it out. How dare um, he? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> right. All right, so the next question here, this uh, this fellow writes in, um, and I think this will be an interesting topic because I think we have a bunch of different dudes here that kind of hunt different ways, but biggest pros and cons of saddle using saddles to hunt versus mobile stand setups. So we'll kick this over to Cody because I know you know Lone Wolf Custom Gear just came out with some. <laughs> we got the guy with the Hoover over yeah, there. Yeah, got the got the vacuum cleaner rolling. Yeah. This uh, podcast episode brought to you by, by Ghost Blind. <laughs> nice. Ghost Blinds and their vacuum cleaner. Yeah, right. made by Beck. All right, but biggest um, pros and cons: saddles versus mobile setups, uh, mobile stand so, setups. So we got a saddle coming out, as well as what I think is going to be a pretty awesome mobile setup. But mm-hmm. uh, I've to that point, I've messed around with saddles a little bit. Or saddle platforms, I can't seem to get into them, but I've never took the plunge. Like I've never really dedicated myself to like, okay, I'm hunting with the saddle this year. Um, I, I just, if you could have a hang-on tree stand that was with your sticks, that was as light as a saddle stand mm-hmm. with your sticks, why the fuck would you pick a saddle? Like that, right. that I don't know. I, I, that's how I look at it. There's so, I think you're more versatile with the tree stand. You can get it in better. You're not. But then I get on a sitter. Right. So like I, I'm always sitting. I'm not standing. If I was a guy who always stood, maybe I would like the saddle more. Mm-hmm. Um, 
That makes a lot of sense because I know I heard you talk about the fact that when you'll set up, like you'll set up specifically to ha- take that seated position yeah. where you know yeah. a buck's going to come from from your left to your right. You're going to set up to take that strong side shot. Yeah. So that totally makes sense for me. You know, Chad and John know it's like I've kind of taken the full saddle plunge this year, and yeah. I am a stander in the in the yeah. saddle. So for me, mm-hmm. it makes a lot more sense. The one thing that I like about it is I've never been able to kind of get around the entire tree to get a shot on the back side of the tree if I need to. And I know you're setting up strategically to kind of, yep. you know, to you're targeting a buck, and you're saying this buck's probably going to come from here because I know he's bedding here, or he's coming from food, and he's going to bed here. A lot of times when I'm setting up, you know, just for me, I don't have as much time to spend in the timber. You spend a lot of time scouting. So for me, I'm got, I got a week, and I'm going, i got to kind of place a lot of the odds here. Yep. So being able to get a shot on the backside of a tree or whatever works to my benefit just because of the amount yeah. of time that I might not know the area as well as yep. I need to. To know that I can set up yeah. for that strong side yeah. shot all the time. That, that roll yeah. around. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and I, you know, I've, I've talked to saddle hunters too and, and um, you know, guys that, that helped us develop the new the new platform and alike. And, and they correlate a lot of the saddle success too with, uh, you know, how your body is in relative to a tree. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. coming off a tree mm-hmm. like a branch, you know, yeah. it does look a little more natural, I'd say. Sure. Um, you know, coming up and out and. And I know guys who are straight killers that use a saddle, yeah. um, but I just, I don't know. I can't get into it. What about you, John? Uh, I haven't gotten into the saddle thing. Um, I can't say that I've really tried it either. Mm-hmm. Um, I do see a lot of the advantages for mobile hunting and, and getting into places, and it's going to be easier. Um, man, I'm, I'm a stander in the tree stand. You know, Cody and mm-hmm. I were talking about this. You know, he sit, you know, he was saying he kind of, he likes to sit, you know, from a tree stand position and, and, um, I probably sit maybe 5% of the time. Right. And it's more just to kind of like take a little pressure off my feet or something, and then I'm back up. But under the same principle with a saddle looking like a tree, I'm trying to be, be the a tree. tree trunk. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? I'm just trying to lean up against it the whole time. But it, and it's allowed me to, you know, to move more this way. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing with the saddle is like I have been rigged up before mm-hmm. um, back in my landscape days, you know, rigging that way. And I always think about, it, like, if I'm up against the tree and then I'm like, what do you do? Like, have your feet, like, I can just picture it running around the bark of the tree, you know, you know what I mean? Trying to get <laughs> right. to the backside. And I'm just right. like, eh, I don't know, man. <laughs> right. I mean, and then, then are you swinging? Oh, shit. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely you takes a lift to get used to. You got to lift and go through. Well, are to get, you a, gonna to get, get over your bridge. To get over your bridge, you have to lift. You're going to take a weak side shot, right? But for me, what I'll do is I'll try to pick trees that are basketball size or smaller because I can can literally kind of move around the entire tree and shoot over to this side without. So my the only time I'm taking a weak side shot is probably like one to like three. Now are you three o'clock? Now let me ask you this: So when you're so if you're fixed in and when you're swinging all the way around Mm -hmm. uh, for that like completely Mm -hmm. instead of just hitting them hitting them like that, Mm -hmm. are you still stable? Because like, oh, yeah. aren't you really swinging like to your max? No. Is, there, is there any I sort think of pull? That's the way I'm looking at it. Are you like is really? There, is there any sort of pull back to center from that? From your no, because I mean, your what, you, what you start to learn how to do, and this is probably the biggest like learning curve of a saddle, is you have to learn where the pressure is going to be on your body because it's less about your about your shoulders and more about your hips. So you're yep. using yeah. your saddle as a leverage point to kind of back into it, give you that to give you that stability. So it's just a matter of like relearning where your stability is going to come from. Because yeah. it's not necessarily going to pull you back because you're pushing into it, like to give yourself like a rock solid foundation to take that. Or you're shot. pushing back. You're pushing into your saddle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Using your using your legs and like he said, you're actually it, it takes, would be it, like we were doing the other day. It 
It's a little bit of course. I mean, if you guys I have mean, ever used a sex swing, it's very similar. No, <laughs> <laughs> What's that? What's that? <laughs> what are those? Uh, what about man. you, Rodeo? What do you think? <clears throat> I've done both, man. I had. Uh, are you a saddle hunter? You've been saddle hunting? I had an old. Tr- I've had an old trophy line for like, oh, five, six years. Now, I'm not a huge fan of that specific product, right? I think some of the new saddles um, and the new products to market are a lot better. I think you guys have basically kind of hit every strong point of, of, you know, both systems, whether it's a mobile stand, saddle. You can sleep in a saddle a little bit easier than you can a, a tree stand. You don't have to worry about falling yeah. out. So, you know, if you're the guy that, you know, is taking climbers in and taking naps, you know, for all day sits, maybe How? the saddles. But here's what I would say. I get tired, and you and I have talked about this. It's like you talk to all these whitetail guys and how big and bad they are and how far they go, you know, how deep they go in the public and what they do when they go out west, how many miles they put on, and then they bitch because a, pound, a, a stand is 11 pounds versus 9 pounds, and they're like, oh, I got to use a saddle because I'm saving a pound. If a pound makes a difference for me walking <laughs> right. two miles, yeah. I need to get to the goddamn gym and do a little exercise. <laughs> yeah. No, heard, heard that. I mean, for yeah. me, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of the the, the weight thing. Um, it's just, but my setup is literally I'm using you know a really simple setup to where I'm using eighters and stuff like that to where my entire setup is maybe with the platform, all my ropes and stuff. We're talking probably six pounds, seven pounds, like all in. You know what I mean? So that's probably like my entire my entire setup, which is pretty light. Now I have checked out the Lone Wolf custom like short sticks because those for me would be. Like, because I can get those wrapped around quick and get up the tree as opposed to using, like, wild edge steps or whatever the case might be that might take a little bit longer. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've definitely used a platform from a tree stand in my saddle because I wanted a little bit more room. You know what I mean? Yep. And I hung it, and I knew I was going to hunt that tree a couple of times, so I left it there, and I knew I could get up into it with my saddle and just kind of be able to stand and be able to shoot around the tree but have the luxury of having the entire platform, you know, which is, which is nice. All right. So next topic here is uh, <clears throat> this fellow writes in and says... He says he wants to try to do some out-of-state public land hunts next year, and he needs, he needs a little advice. He lives in Georgia. He said he's looking to do a hunt on public land in Kentucky next year. He asks if we have any advice on how to select a piece of public to focus his efforts on. And he said it's hard for him to just do Internet research because it seems like so many people don't necessarily volunteer a whole lot of information. You know, there's not a lot of you know, info out there for him from folks who've had experience. He said he just needs help in selecting an area, and then he can take it from there. He said, do we have any advice, and how do we pick the place that we're hunting public land when we're doing an out-of-state hunt. So essentially, he's looking to hunt a piece of public land in a different state. How do we go about finding that that piece of public? We'll guess we'll start with you, Cody. Uh, did it say when he was going? When no, that, when I think that's plan? exactly what I was. Yeah. When is he yeah. planning his trip? I, I Let's assume the rut because most guys who are t- going to take okay. a, pub, a, a trip out of state are probably going to do the rut. If, so they give, have their best opportunities. I if guess. If I was going to an out-of-state piece. In the rut, like I'd never been to Kentucky, but I would definitely look at aerials and look for uh, hedgerows that intersect large chunks of timber, uh, any sort of pinches like that between, you know, big food sources and any, any, any narrow downs, funnels, and, and stuff of that sort. Right. And I'm not the guy, I'm not the November guy, so that's, right. but that's what I would do. Right. Um, so, that's, so, yeah. so I know you like to go after them like when you can pattern them in early season. So if you were going to go for an early season hunt then, you know, would you kind of take the same approach? No, or? different. I, I would look for more so just big woods. A lot of timber that I knew was going to hold deer that had substantial food sources that I know I could look at or, or, or mm-hmm. try and catch them going to for sure. Right. And, I, and honestly, like with, with me, you know, Kentucky is a big 
Big state, right? Really big state? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of timber, right? right. In Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. Or is it more open? Yeah. Hill country. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, the big, my biggest problem, okay, if I'm going to go early season, I know I'm looking for all that, like, uh, you know, I, I know guys, you know, a, a buddy of mine does a lot of research on, uh, you can actually find out, like, how many hunters are in an area, or, like, yeah. hunters per, per acre, and I, if you want to, he's an accountant, too, so, I mean, like, he, like that's how he looks Numbers. at things, but yeah. I would just pick a piece. And then dedicate to that piece, you know, commit to that piece. And if, if nothing was there, I, uh, you know, I, I would know. And then I'd go to the next section and, and go, go so far. So maybe right. pick a spot that, you know, you could go power scout one, one unit. And then if it wasn't happening there, you could always have a, a plan B, but not like spreading myself thin throughout the entire state for sure. Right. How about you, John? I mean, I know you're, you're, you're a Kentucky you know, native, so. Yeah. Um, so as a Kentucky native, I can tell you that. Kentucky public is not the best, mm-hmm. but I mean, there are pieces that border good private pieces and stuff like that. So anything right. can happen. Uh, where I, where I moved from in Kentucky, in Northern Kentucky, there was a piece of public, um, that just gets pounded. So for me, like when I moved to Iowa and people are like, Oh dude, you got that big shimmick forest, like right next to your house. Like mm-hmm. you're going to love it. And I'm like, yeah, right. You know right. what I mean? Like that's ridiculous, but the shimmick doesn't get pounded. Like nobody hunts it. So um it's just it's different there are places there are pockets in kentucky and and again i don't want to like dumb it down and say that you're not going to kill big antlers Mm because i know that's not what hunting's all about so i don't want anybody to flame me for that but i think most people their target is they're wanting to get on a good mature buck and and if he's got nice headgear that's a bonus right but right um like cody said i think wait wait is this guy meat hunting <laughs> is he well, just going to kill it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think no, I, I think, think we can assume that he's going gonna, for a decent buck. Yeah, if yeah. you're going to travel out of state, I would make the assumption that you're not going to. He's yeah, not meat hunting, plink, right? Something yeah. you can plink in your home state. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm like Cody. I'm going to look for a, if there's a neighboring farm, especially if it's a ag farm that's got row crop near the the edge of the property. Uh, I'm going to look for that. Um, and then you know, I mean, yeah, pinch points and funnels and, and ridges. But like, if he's rut hunting. As we all know, like you could kill one in Walmart parking lot. Like anything can happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, not to sound like a cookie cutter answer, but I mean, that's right. that's really what it comes down to. If you're not relying on people in the area, right? Yeah. Rodeo, you and I probably have a similar response to this. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I got a guy in Kentucky that hunts. When I say a guy, um, one of my boys, BG BG yep. bow hunter, um, Josh Prophet, who goes pretty damn hard on a limited amount of time and nine out of the last i think 11 years has killed at least a pope and young on public in kentucky with a trad bow last i think last few years with a trad bow yeah, yeah. so that dude's getting it done so it is possible i mean yeah, yeah. not to downplay no, you no. know yep. um or you know talk up kentucky at all um but for me if you know during the rut everybody's taking time off work all the public's going to be pounded. Mm-hmm. So for, to me, it's about access where you can, yeah. I would try to find, focus on a thousand acres. Like Cody said, find one spot, dedicate some time and learn that spot. Um, and that starts with me for access. I would find spots where I don't think guys are going to be. Now it doesn't mean that it's two or three miles from the nearest access point or road either. You know, there are some overlooked spots that, you know, maybe, maybe they're standing water that guys just don't want to cross because they mm-hmm. don't want to put the work in. Yeah. Um, so that's where, I, that's where I would start. And then also, during the rut, I would honestly start focusing my attention around doe bedding. I mean, that's right. I mean, again, cookie cut answer, but yeah, you know, if you have seven days, like you, that's where they're going to be. Right. It's like 
same with you. It's like I that one piece in Ohio. It's like I found some great doe budding. I continue to try to set up on that during the rut because I have action there every every year. I think starting from the top though, it's like if this guy's looking to find a find a piece, it's like find all the public land pieces, do some e scouting, and figure out where they're at. Try to get away from any place that has like a larger metro area near near it because that's going to draw people from the city who want to get out to hunt, right? I think then kind of draw a circle around it, figure out where all your access points out there are going to be easy, and then kind of make a circle around those or with yeah. inside of those that kind of go about a half mile. And then you've got a piece there that you probably have that's probably going to be less touched than the rest of the pieces. And then from there, kind of outline, I think, what all you guys kind of said, like where are your hedgerows, where are your pinch points, where are your funnels, where are those features? And then boots in the ground and scout those and see and see what you see. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that that's probably yeah, you got to walk it. Yeah, I think that's probably like the yeah. one of the better approaches there. So this guy here, the next guy, he, it's a similar question, but he's asking more specific about hill country. And he wants to know, are there any region-specific tactics whenever you're hunting here, hill country based on land features uh, or anything or habitat features that could help him fine-tune his strategies? Hill country, are we talking like out here? Like Texas say, hill country? Well, let's, let's talk like Ohio, Ohio hill country because I think he's referring okay. to, he's heard us talk about my hunts in Ohio and, and our hunts in Ohio, Chad, and I think he's kind of going, hey, I'm hunting some similar type of terrain. You know, you guys see some deer. I'm, I need a little help trying to figure out how to hunt some of these areas. Yeah. Or is there anything you guys are doing specifically for those type of terrain features and that type of habitat? I mean, now, I don't, I've never hunted Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never been there yet. Um, we got to get you out there. I don't, yeah. I, I, I do look forward to getting to Ohio one of these days. Um, so I don't know if the hills that I'm hunting um, would be, you know, similar to the hills in Ohio, but um, there are sh- there's a lot of, uh, in the steeper areas that I hunt, there's impassable spots uh, that the deer go. There's, like, uh, I find my best luck on, like, nooks and crannies on, like, these, these like, sheer bluff cliffs that, that these bucks are heading out, uh, hanging out on, and they're, like, you know, being able to, like, scope, like, entire valley. Um, I've found, you know, I like to look for dead deer, too. Like, that's one thing. Like, so I've killed a couple deer in spots where I've found, like, they're like little, like little death zones, like little, uh, like cemeteries almost, like way on these ridges that, um, for some reason, they just like when deer are hurt up, they feel safe there, they go die, and then I, I've killed deer early in those exact spots. Um, but hills, the first thing I would, I would do is, is whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I'd have to get out there and see what the wind's doing because hills scare me. I was just going to ask you, you know, that. Is there anything yeah. from a wind perspective that you found in it, hill country? It does I, weird stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. why, I mean, I, you know, I like those. I'll usually hunt the tops just to, to get away with the wind and then mm-hmm. um, dive down deep when I find a good spot on those, like, variable days like the, where the wind is so mm-hmm. calm and I can count on that lift. But um there's there's so many areas that when i get into a really hilly area i just go walk and then i you know maybe throw some throw some of the milkweed out or do some uh uh checking with the powder and Mm -hmm. it it's doing it's so crazy that i don't even chance it yeah so i just try and go find a spot and then back off that and figure out where that deer is going to be coming up to the top and then at the next ambush point then i'll I'll go from there so hill country is just a 
I mean, it's kind of a bitch, right? Because like oh. you're dealing with the wind, and then you also have <clears throat> your thermals that are going to kind of screw you in the morning and the evening, right? It's like yeah. yeah, that's what that spot in Ohio that I found that's kind of money because I'm I've been set up. I've hunted it two years, and I've never been busted in that spot. I've had deer downwind of me. It's just like it's one of those magic spots that the wind doesn't really matter what it's doing. The thermals always seem to act right with the wind every day, like to sure. a degree to where it's like, it's, you know, it's, and it's at the top of a ridge, kind of what you're talking yeah. about, because as I go down a little further, it gets a little squirrely. And the deer seem to like it up there a little bit better, too, because that's where all the signs laid down. So mm-hmm. I just kind of go, what about you, John? What do you find? Um, for me, like, if I, the steeper, the better. And I want to get right to the edge of the steep because I know they're not going to go straight down, you know, some cliff. Right. And that's usually going to be a cross point or they're going to hug that edge, you know. And it seems like if they're going to be on one side or the other. And and if you've got like a, a steep face, I'll try to find a hot trail or something like that. But, you know, when you're going to some of these public land places that you haven't scouted and you only like that aerial, like you really have to go on just fresh sign know. what yeah. you're seeing. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You pick a hot trail and, and hope that it's still hot or something's going to cut that trail or get downwind of that trail or something. Mm-hmm. Um, play in the thermals, get high. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had some pretty good luck on extremely windy days and getting all the way down in those valleys. Like where I'm talking crazy wind, where yeah. it's just so noisy that that's where they feel safe yeah. is down in the bottom because it's not as noisy or whatever, But and they can hear better. Um, creeks, you know, creek crossings down at the bottom of those yeah. in the big hills. And in northern Kentucky, that's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of river bottom stuff close to the Ohio River. Um, and that's what we would always do. We would always try to get top of ridges on non-windy days, hunt mornings, yep. and then in afternoons, try to get when it's hot, you know, get down in the valleys and the, near the water. Right. What about you, Radio? I've spent a lot of freaking time in Hell Kitchen. <laughs> Basically, I mean, yeah. the last three or four seasons, ex- excluding 2018, um, and it was all new to me. I mean, I grew up on mm-hmm. that ground. Like, the easiest, perfect, prettiest farm laid out. Anybody could walk in there and kill big deer, and that's kind of what happened to me. And then I got the allure of hunting these big wood areas uh, in hill country. Like, to your point, Cody, you have to be able you, – you, you can look at the weather and see what the wind speed and wind direction is, like what, what it's forecasted, but you don't know – what it actually is going to do until you're at that point. Correct. And you drop your yeah. milkweed. Well, how yeah. many? How much to that point, it's like, and this is for all three of you, like how many times have you done a, a set either out of season or maybe very early season where you're just kind of still making your plans and just went to set that set to see what the wind was going to do on a specific wind direction so you knew later in the year whenever you wanted to really hunt that area that you would kind of know what the wind was going to do. So the wind, to your point, might be a northwest wind, but you get to the spot. And you're in your stand, and now all of a sudden it's a southeast wind, right? Because of how the wind's going to swirl, right? Because yeah. there's a difference between wind direction, what thermals are doing, yeah. and wind current, right? Those are all different yeah. things. So, yeah. is, do you guys ever do do that type of stuff to kind of wind map? Um, no, I learned the hard way. Yeah, uh, I'll, just, <laughs> uh, I'll screw it up. Right, uh, I'll, I'll bust a deer first. Yeah, I, I will. I, I, I did it. Um, it happened to me real bad one time, and that like, ever since that day, I've, I, you know, I take more caution to it, but. The way I look at it is, okay, if I'm hunting a deer, if I'm trying to get at that deer and I find the perfect ambush point and it's in one of those draws, like, I'll do my best to surmise what the wind's going to do. But, like, there's, I mean, I might check it out. But even, like, when you're, like you said, to your point of, like, mock setting up a stand, even when you drop that milkweed on the ground versus 30 it's feet different. up in the tree or, or yeah. 20 feet, it does something different. So, yep. I mean, whether it's, like, bouncing off a, a ridge or... Um, 
I had this one, this, this steep crack that I hunted one time, and I was sure I was going to kill this deer, and he came out, and he, I mean, he was coming in like 20 yards, and uh, just got smacked in the face like he hit, a, like somebody hit him with a baseball bat, like when that, that wind sucked down and eddied and funneled straight up that draw, and he was, I never seen him again, but um, yeah, I, I just ended up busting him out. Yeah. Because like, you know, but at the same point in time, I'm always, I'm always kind of torn on that, because it's like it just so happened, like that shit gusted up, like just it just picked up as he came down out of that like little canyon there. Yeah. If it wouldn't have, that deer would have been dead. Right. Yeah. It would have took a little longer to get in there, and he was like five feet in front. So like yeah. I, I could have killed him, and I might think different about it today. But mm-hmm. so I think I want to take that chance, but also be cautious of it. Right. Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, even with all the negatives and how hard it is sometimes to hunt kill country, there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits too for access. Um, if you know oh. what the wind's going to do, mm-hmm. I mean, you can use some of those ridges and yeah. dude, flat ground for access. For, sucks. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can yeah. use it not only that yeah. for to you know, visually hide yourself, but you can also use it as a wind barrier to keep your scent in a certain area. Sure. Well, you can also so, use some of those land features too to funnel to better funnel deer, right? So you set up at well, a point where they can't get behind you yeah, or yeah, whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you I can, mean, even if you don't well, have a great wind, you can kind of set yourself up to kind of. Work that not great wind. Not yeah. only that, I mean, you get on a ridge, and you know you can count on those thermals dropping, and you yeah. got a a, a a giant like uh, crevice, or I don't know how you call it, <laughs> crevasse, yeah, a big, a crevasse, like a giant <laughs> a big drainage or something. Yeah, but you know, I mean, aren't going to be. I, I've hunted the wrong wind on those those sets, just waiting. Like, okay, the deer are, are probably going to not come out until maybe you know 30, 30 minutes, like right when that sun goes down because it's real hot out. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, hunt the wrong one. The wind's actually blowing right out to where they're they're gonna be. And as soon as that shit takes over, it's like, it's yep. like just, I mean, those real steep banks. And yep. and I've killed there that way too. Yeah. Why well, you can't hunt that sand with a north wind? I'm like, watch me. Yeah. yeah. Well, watch me do it. I think there's a bit a big misconception about thermals too. Like mm-hmm. people think as soon as the sun comes up, boom, thermals are, thermals are rising. Or as soon as the sun yeah. starts, like at three o'clock, they think it's gonna be dropping because it's the evening. Like that stuff happens a lot closer. You know, in the evening, a lot closer to sundown, yeah. and then a lot later in the morning than what yeah, people exactly. realize. Like, yep. Just think about like unless you're around water, like water Water's and land change. are are two different things. Yeah, two different things. Yeah. Especially if you have standing water versus flowing water. Right. Like, I love setting up against large bodies of flowing water because, I mean, when you're on twenty, thirty feet, that happened when we were in Shockton. I could almost there were yeah. a couple of spots where I could hunt with almost any wind because that water was so cold and flowing so fast, it was taking everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, those, I mean, and that's that's to a point there. I mean, uh, like, just setting up on those little spots like that that you know, oh, I can get away with it. There's a moving creek down in this bottom. Well, let me let me get let me get tight to that and, and you know, on a cross-section. Yeah. When normally you probably wouldn't get away with it if it was just a... Right. Um, and even height, too, man. That stuff, it drops like a rocket. And I, I was hunting the edge of a cliff, and there was, like, this, like, little billy goat trail it almost looked like that all these deer were coming off of. And I thought for sure, I'm like, and they were they were skirting around the entire rim and spitting out the backside, and I couldn't get over there. But they came up, and I would have had them at like two feet. Like I was <laughs> literally on rocks. Like like I had a stand set, like a foot off the ground, on this little cedar that came out of the rocks and then came up. It was super scary. That's it sketchy. Like, it was like eighty feet up. <laughs> That's sketchy. But I'm thinking like, okay, this deer literally is going to be eighty feet below me, and it's and and there's no fucking way i'm thinking like okay the, yeah. the wind's sailing off this ridge yeah like it was sailing off it i mean it was a stiff wind it was cold as shit um so i'm like okay and 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 sure enough i seen him he got up out of his bed and he worked down the rim 
and he's taking this little it was like an old it was an old logging trail but like there must have been erosion to that point and it was like this tiny little shelf so i literally could have spit on his back probably but he's 80 feet down as soon as that fucker got right under me he was like and and he took off so fast down this ridge that i didn't even <laughs> think he could get down it was eight counties over um like like that and i'm thinking well no shit i'm like yeah. okay well Drops pretty quick, doesn't it? Like right. you know, like that. that and even with that stiff wind, so now I don't try that anymore. You know, but right. uh, uh, it's yeah. I th- I think you know, it's the, the dudes kind of are sitting here like hunt relatively at varying levels of of aggressiveness. Sure. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like we, for me, I'm trying to be more aggressive. You know, and we can talk about that later. More related to sign, but for wind, for me, it's like I don't have a lot. I'm a working dude like everybody else. So it's like my time in the timber is kind of limited, right? So. I a lot of times have to take a chance on a wind if I'm going to go hunt a specific spot, right? Because I'm never if I wait for the perfect wind, I'm just probably not going to hunt it. You know, that's just kind of what it ends yep. up ends up being. Yeah, you know. So and you so. know, and I've had those seasons where there was a particular buck that I was chasing, and legitimately, I've done it. I've sat down with an Excel spreadsheet and documented like trail Nerd. camera photos, like yeah, like <laughs> on this day he came in from this direction on this wind. Like I was at you know dire straits you know what i mean I'm, I'm pulling out all the all the guesswork and i'm like really trying to plot stuff out and sometimes you can actually start to track a pattern you know and at least figure out what loop they're making or where they're making the loop from right but it's kind of catch-22 because i i do it myself i'll do it on a monday then tuesday i'm like that was stupid and then on wednesday i'm like ah screw it let me try it again where i'll go into a brand new place and say screw the wind and I'm just really going on that, like, uh, surprise attack. You know, right. like we all talk about, first hit's the best hit. Um, even though I, my win might not be perfect, I'm thinking, you know what, I still haven't been there before, so I think he's going to be there. And if I can get him on that edge of that scent cone or something, maybe I can get an arrow off before he does pick me up. But, right. um, yeah, trial and error. I don't know. I'm like Cody, too. Like, I probably learn as much from my mistakes as oh, I man. do success. If I'm not, then I'm success screwed. for me is false success. <laughs> right. Because, like I said, it goes back to the guy that rattled the first time, mm-hmm. and he had some buck come in. So now he's rattling every time. So I think – I really think I learn more from my failures than I do, yeah, especially on wind. And wind's the biggest one. I, I teach myself something every year. Yeah. Wind's <laughs> one of those things where it's just – it's such a it's such a hard thing to kind of understand because they, they smell like we see. You know what I mean? Like I think they smell better now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, they, I, don't, I don't see that. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> their world though is a, a scent world, where ours is a visual world. Sure. It's just like that's, it's hard to understand their, how they're. That's the yeah. That's their number one. I mean, that's how they're. That's why I think like, you know, and even like, you know, you're talking about going in with those, those iffy wins, man. I, you got to cut that, man. You got to yeah. cut that habit. It's it's like that's the one thing. Like to that point. Okay, that buck I just told you about that busted me. Yeah, I went in there and it didn't work. But every every molecule in my brain, whatever the hell you want to say, I thought for sure that thing wouldn't smell me. Like in my mind, I wasn't taking a chance. In my mind, I was. You thought you were bulletproof. Exactly. Yeah. I thought I thought there's no way. So it wasn't. I think when you start getting into that habit of, well, I'll just hunt here. So many guys don't realize it. They're getting busted without no. They're getting busted. busted, and those deer are miles miles away. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. crazy, man. You, yeah. If you ever seen, if you ever seen like. Uh, you know, uh, a big deer, a mature deer, any deer, for that matter, in open country, bust you at, like, a fucking mile away. Like, yeah. it, and it happens. Dude, it is it is some humbling shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. you really realize, like, oh, damn, like, 
And so how many times does that happen in the timber when you don't see? Well, that's what you I'm saying. Like, there's so yeah. many. That's They're happened. a half mile down. That's wind. happened. You're like, hey, John's up there. Yeah. 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 All right. So next question is uh, this fellow lives in North Carolina, and he hunts land in, uh, the, in the mountain region. He said it's comprised basically of about 20,000 acres of public land and 20,000 acres of state park full of ivy thickets, creeks, open mixed timber, and a bunch of really extreme topography changes. Mass crop, he says, is everywhere. He said he's, he's hunted it and scouted it hard the last three seasons, but hasn't seen a whole lot of deer. So Move the, on. Why is he there right. the third season? <laughs> right. He said in those three seasons, only three <laughs> rack bucks, one of which was 130 inches, which he said is good for his area. Okay. So he says that sighting alone is the reason kind of he kind of continues to go back. He's talked to biologists and, and so forth to try to figure out, you know, if there was better food somewhere. He said even though it doesn't show much sign, he's talked to the biologists, expla- explanation of deer density. He's run trail cameras. He only finds a few, you know, bits of scattered sign. He said he knows he's, you know, heard us talk about Dan Enfalton's, like the hill country is hard to find deer and harder, even harder to kill. So he tries to hunt bed to bed and transitions and funnels with limited sightings. Do we have any suggestions based on our experience uh, that could help him fine tune or completely change the way he goes about hunting? And what right. I'm thinking is, is, like, this is big woods. Like, he's yeah. talking big woods where sure. you're going to have long lines of movement and probably less yeah. defined lines of movement, right? Yeah. So, Cody, yeah. I want to kick us off he's in north carolina he's in north carolina because yeah, well, you have an area in north carolina that you you get into like those uh like the smokies yeah, and yeah. stuff like that yeah. so we're let me, let, never let been me. never been to kentucky never been to north carolina never been to ohio never like man this is we need to switch this over to the midwest <laughs> I I, yeah i don't know what, what north carolina looks like but it sounds to me like this guy is doing his diligence right yeah. so he knows what he's doing he probably knows sign he's listening to the right people get the fuck out of there yeah go yeah. somewhere else that, yeah, yeah. that's what i would say like yeah. It, right. Now, if he's if he doesn't feel he's confident enough in in like finding these deer, which it doesn't seem like, like he's he got on the good bucks in the area, mm-hmm. yeah. he knows what he's doing, he's looking for the right stuff. Then I would just start researching other uh, other places. I mean, I, right. I don't know if that's no, yeah, yeah, that, and that's that's I'm I'm right there with you. Like if Unless, he spent three seasons out there and and he's he's talking to the biologist and he's looking for the sign, but I don't like the bed to bed thing mm-hmm. so much because it sounds like he's just pounding that. Mm-hmm. And he might be actually keeping himself from yeah. seeing anything. Like right. he might want to switch up the tack there and 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 get out of the bedroom right. a little bit. Um, and if it's such big country like that, that's that's my thing. Like the bigger the woods, it's bed hard. to bed is hard. It's well, a he, lot harder. You know, we've to do. spent we've spent a lot of time in big wood settings. Sixty you yeah. know sixty thousand acres plus, uh, very little structure, very very low deer density. So. My experience with big woods is probably a lot like what this guy is. And the one thing I would say is use historical data around the rut from your goddamn trail cameras. 100%. Because those deer, they They do the same thing. Well, yes, but there's there's food everywhere, right? Yeah. So if there's mass crop everywhere, it's really hard to pin down. Especially, I wish I knew how much of this was clear cut, too, because that would be. Yeah, fine. I mean, I think that's the basics, right? Find edge, find structure, and see where, you know, potentially those deer could hold up. But. A year-to-year pattern all around the rut. If you look at your trail cameras, they will tell you when a specific deer. Oh, I think, oh. yeah, I think that just timed out or something. Oh. Yeah. I was like, oh, lost yeah. it. I'm just curious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> use your trail cameras. I mean, you let them run 365, and look at that historical pattern. Those deer will hole up for, you know, two, three, four days, and then you have that small window to get on them. And if you miss that window, they're they're somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the yeah. one thing that, so, 
that's kind of what helped in Ohio this year, right, is near that doe budding. I think the one thing, too, I think the, around the rut and using your trail camera data is a good idea just because one thing that I learned from the dude from MSU Deer Labs, biologist guy, was that doe, does will pass their breeding dates to their doe fawns. So if you can find an area that bucks are kind of cruising during the rut around doe bedding, that bedding area is going to come in the same time every year because it's probably the same doe family group that's using that, right? Yeah. And so using that kind of that intel to kind of figure out what time certain ridges or certain funnels are going to turn yeah. on because they're traveling between doe bedding to doe bedding yep. is probably your best bet because one thing that we saw in the big woods, you know, I'm not as experienced as, as, as you are, Chad, but is that they, and this is something that I think Jeff Sturgis talks about too, is just like the long lines of movement, right? There's food everywhere. So they're not bedding yeah. here eating here and coming back like yeah. they're bedding here yeah. eating here then going to Anywhere. this bed yeah. and then just kind of yeah. whatever their pattern well, happens to be which is just a lot longer and less defined yeah and i think that's a general rule the bigger the woods the bigger the trail yeah you know like the more they're going to travel that's what i've seen from kentucky and then even moving to iowa and it's such a big difference like where i'm hunting and then you go to the middle of the state and you have more fingers and stuff like that and i swear i want to put a pedometer on the bucks down there yeah. in lee county I mean, it's it's got to be crazy how far they're traveling. You know, it's it's insane. But yeah, bigger bigger the woods, bigger the trail, longer the trail. But that's where that habitual trail camera stuff can really pay off. And you hear about those guys that are like, I passed that buck on November eighth at mm-hmm. five p.m. last year, and he showed up not on November eighth, but November 9th. He was in the exact same that's, trail, at the same. Right. That's how Matt like got that. on that on that big, you know, one hundred sixty inch nine point. Yeah, right. Historical, tra- historical trail cameras. So yeah. with trail cameras, like how are we all, all all using those? I mean, Cody, how often are you, how much are you using trail cameras? Because I think people look at trail cameras as like the magic bullet where it really should just kind of be a tool, like yeah. a, a piece of the puzzle, yeah. but not the entire entire yeah. puzzle, right? So how are you kind of typically using your, your cameras? Um, I don't do any, I, I don't do, uh, we were talking about that the other day um, with Chad and Jake about, like historical data and, and getting into some of that stuff, like looking at, like, I don't do any of that. I, I dropped the ball on that. I might try and start doing some stuff like that, but I use them per, primarily for inventory purposes. Um, now that's on, that's coming into season, maybe that first couple weeks of season. I usually check them a couple times and then they just, they end up sitting there and going dead and then I'll, I'll, I'll pull them after the season. So right. Like that, that's kind of like my, my strategy. I want to see what bucks I got. Um, I pretty much know what they're going to be doing, mm-hmm. and then I I go look for then what. Like if I get a good picture of it, then I'll just go figure out what what, what it's that? doing. Um, so I like I like to get that just that one, even if it's a blurry piece of shit photo, just right one photo. Yeah, you're looking for inventory, yeah. saying who, yep. who's who's yep. around here, right? Yep. As opposed yep. to I'm going to continue to move these and pinch down on where he's at. You're going to actually just put boots on the ground and go find it. Yeah, and even like like a property that. Like, let's say I maybe, <laughs> if I was looking at a piece of ground that i never been to or something, I'll go toss up just a few sporadic trail cameras in spots that I think would uh, <coughs> be good spots that deer would move through just to get that yeah, that, that inventory. Right. Um, but we talked about, too, like sometimes I'll leave them and then they do go dead. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I look at them and it's cool to see like that. Right. Like yeah. that, the whole, the whole season played out right, in that one right. spot. Right. It's definitely yeah. cool to see and what moved through there. Um, but I've never went as far as to actually like document that stuff. Right. Um, right. But when you see something like throughout the year play out, right, it's like you'll look at that and like in the back of your mind, you might go, I'm just, I'm asking, not putting words in your mouth. You might say, 
this is something I need to pay attention to next year. I mean, you kind of look at it from that perspective. So if you're clicking through and you're like, man, I see this deer keeps hitting this area, this area that that scrapes in that I know this know is here, and he's hitting it around the 28th of October or whatever, in the back of your mind, are you thinking that might be something I need to check out right around like mid-October to see if he's laying down sign? No. No, no not at all. I just think that like scrapes light up at a certain time of year. Find the scrapes that are lit up and kill a deer on that scrape. Like I don't look, I don't, I don't complicate it. Right. Like, so I won't see a scrape. Now pr- there are primary scrapes. I got mm-hmm. primary scrapes that light up every year. Uh, but I just see that without having a camera there. And there's a lot of times I've actually killed deer um, 60 yards from a primary scrape on a fresh scrape that just was opened up, and that buck didn't even hit the primary scrape. So yeah, I just yeah you know, I don't like to I, I just don't like to overcomplicate anything, mm-hmm. and that's just the kind of way that I look at it. But yeah, so I don't look at that. I look at it as oh, there's a good buck. Maybe he'll make it till next year. Like yeah. that would be the right. extent of like uh, oh he worked that he worked that branch like. But- like 70 other fucking bucks did. Like, it, it's, you know, it's right. one of those things where... Right. Which, I could be completely wrong. The next year, that, that deer could have came there mm-hmm. on the 31st, and I maybe could have had that crystal ball, mm-hmm. but I never capitalized on it. Right. Yeah. I think that's yeah. one thing, though, that, that I think you do a good job of. That's something I'm still trying to learn to do, is trust myself in each given year yeah. to read yeah. what's happening then, yeah. as opposed to... Yep getting married to a spot or getting married to an area that lit up before that I'm going to go try to execute on the next year because yeah. that buck might not be there anymore. Yeah, right. Yep. And, the, and what has maybe the, the habitat has changed a little bit, right? There's no, there's a bunch of things that could change. It could change what that deer is going to do. Sure. Um, but it's the hardest thing for, for me to do personally is to kind of change that, that mindset and be, yeah. you know, and trust my own intuition. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, and you know, I run, I run a lot of covert cams, uh, you know, on leases, my personal farm and stuff like that. But I myself, admittedly, have fallen into that rut where I was like, that's gospel. Whatever right. shows up on the trail camera, that's yep. gospel. And I've had seasons where I've almost let a whole season slip away and fell into that trap. And now I've gone back to more of a, it's a tool. It's an inventory. I know what bucks are around. I know deer density numbers, doe density numbers. Um, but I love doing it for inventory more of a okay these are potential targets that were at least in the area at some point in the year i might have an encounter with them now let's find out where i can actually kill them at and that's kind of what i'm doing now and i start the year at like 25 cameras and i actually start pulling them as the year goes on right um and start you know condensing those areas and i still want to monitor areas and it might be an area that i'm not going to hunt um i had a, a trail camera in public last year that i completely forgot about so I'm shed hunting, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I got a stand. I need to go tear down. So I'm tearing the stand down. I look over, and I'm like, damn, some other guy's got a camera. Oh, oh <laughs> shit, that's my camera. And then I got that's like, awesome. then I'm like hauling ass home because I want to check the SD card. I check the right. SD card, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And there was like two just smokers that were like right. burning it up for like a week. Now, in my defense, I probably wouldn't have picked that week, you know what I mean? Right. And I wouldn't right. have killed them anyways, but it was nice to know they were there, you know? Right. What about you there, Rodeo? I mean, for, I run a, you a guys pile. know, I run a ton of cameras. I mean, I have cameras. How many in, cameras do you run? 76? Uh, 102. What brand of cameras do you use? Do you run 102 cameras? What? what brand of cameras do you use? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Reconyx? <laughs> um, I, just do you run 102 cameras? I don't know. I, more, Actually, he's got probably like a 10,000. Well, here's what I do. Accessible. Here's, <laughs> right. here's, I, I know it's over 100 because I label all my cameras. Oh. Okay, so 
there's all there's a number like one through two one two three four five six whatever and then i label my cards and marry them to my camera so if it, like if i'm checking camera a i have two cards like a1, you gotta, have some, you gotta yeah. have some pretty killer data then. Wait, well, here's the thing with the historical stuff. Let me go back and clarify some of this because it's not the magic. There's no such thing as a magic bullet. Yeah. yeah. That is with, like, those deer doing the same thing year over year over year is with everything else, all the variables remaining the same. So, habitat, outside influence. And that doesn't mean you got a picture of him on a scrape November 2nd, 2017. He's not, I'm not saying he's going to come back and hit that scrape you know, November right. 3rd or whatever the following year, but he's going to be what we've seen in the big yeah. woods is he will be in the area. Yeah. Maybe he's, I don't know, 700 yards away, right, 500 right. yards away. I think we're saying that. We stuff. have so many damn cameras. Like, well, when you have that many cameras, see, you, you, you can kind of pinpoint yeah, I, I know that he's in that area. I think a good thing, like, just thinking about it, and this is stuff that I've even told myself I was going to do, but I just don't like to be out there in the summer, mm-hmm. Um is like so a lot of these bucks relocate when they come in a hard horn. Yep. Like John said, when, yeah, when they yeah. get the hard on, they they yeah. don't want to be in the same area. So I think that is a invaluable piece of information you could get from a trail camera sure. if you have them spread out like that and you know where these bucks are living in the summer mm-hmm. and yep. then where they're going to. Like that, that could be yeah. Huge. Yeah, that, that, I never thought of it that way, but that transition, like that, yeah, like that, I think is what Summer you're talking about. Yeah, like yeah, that's, yeah. that's yeah. huge. I mean, right? that is yeah. like I never thought of it that way. Like I was yeah. always more thinking of it from a micro perspective of no, like yeah. this no, time of year the, is he going to yep. be in this area the, where that's the shift. Yeah, that's well, huge. Like the double that double beam buck that yeah. you know I showed you guys actually I've, I know I've showed you pictures as well that double beam buck uh, I had him so patterned out on my home personal farm. And I'm like, I'm going to kill this buck. I'm going to kill this buck, you know. And then all of a sudden he vanishes. So I'm over at my lease that's like a mile down the road checking cameras there. Boom, he's over there. And I'm like, you dirty dog. You know, but it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm glad I had another camera and I know where he's at. And then, of course, I tried to kill him there and I screwed it up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then he ended up busting off a rack. So, but he'll be around next year. He's he's still alive. Yeah. I think with trail cameras, there's no, I mean, everybody wants one recipe or one strategy to success with them and there's there's just not no it depends on how many cameras you're running what you're you know you how bo- you don't hunt. you bullshit us jeff yeah. what's the recipe, yeah. the <laughs> recipe. What? This he's is, running listen, over 100 cameras this he's got to yes, figure it out yes right yeah. buy more exodus trail yeah. cameras that is the recipe <laughs> no i mean i know you I heard know. it here if you want to kill bigger deer you got to buy exodus i know guys that'll use cameras like they're cutting tracks <laughs> They'll, they'll locate a deer on a yeah. food source, and they'll use it, and they'll just start leapfrogging them until they have yeah, yeah. that deer on the edge of daylight. Yep. Yep. I mean, there's a there's so many different ways to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, one guy wrote in a question, and I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase it. He's he hears a lot of folks right talk about hunting hunting hot sign right, especially with mobile hunting becoming like the more and sure. more. And I'll say a lot of folks have done it, but it's become even more in vogue. He's talking about hunting hot sign, but he's confused. He might be a, a relatively newer hunter, and he's asking, essentially, what do we classify as hot sign, and how do we know when the sign is the best sign to hunt at that moment? Um, well, I would definitely have him start looking at, like, what a, what a fresh track looks like opposed to what a, mm-hmm. you know, an older track looks like. I mean, you know, pounded areas. That, that's all, honestly, I think it's it really going to vary on your area. Right. If you're hunting a big mm-hmm. piece of piece of woods and there's, you know, like you said, they're they're they got a longer longer travel and they're not so condensed in one area. Like I've hunted farms that had trails that looked like cow paths, and you know, I and I'd literally hunt be hunting with people and they'd come up to me and, be, and they'd be like, "There's too much sign here." 
Like, wh- where do I hunt? Can't prioritize because because yeah. you can look at it both ways. Everybody, oh, I, I hunt, I hunt this stuff, and there's not that many deer. But what about when you hunt a farm, and there the deer population is literally so huge mm-hmm. that how do you how do you specify a certain buck? How do you know? Okay, well, you know where this deer is going. So it can be confusing in both aspects. Yeah. I mean, you got you got a trail that's just piss pounded. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, it's a pounded trail, but then there's pounded trails everywhere versus mm-hmm. you know nothing. So I would I, I would focus on uh, where deer are. Find actual deer. Right. Like if you if, if you're not <laughs> best sign ever. Jeez, well, best sign ever. Science. Well, but but <laughs> that's the, the thing deer? that people overlook. Yeah, I get so many times. Hey man, what do I want to set up on four track or? Four finger tracks, three finger tracks. Has it got to be the size of my my forearm? And I, right. what are you doing? Like, well, yep. you know, a lot of these guys don't know what they're looking at. They don't know what a fresh rub looks like or a, or a fresh scrape. Or that scrape was made five days ago. And I then I just tell them like, go find the deer. Like, yep. where yeah. the deer are is where you need to be. It's it's very simple. It is yeah. so simple. Right. Sometimes it's harder to do because finding the deer is hard. Like if you're if you got thousands of acres. Fucking strap them boots up, man, and yeah. just find. Well, I think the deer. that's it, man. Like people are always again going back to like, what's the magic bullet, right? And yeah. it's not like you're like you kind of simplify, and it's like just go find the deer. It's like it's really easy, but like a lot of things in life are easy, but executing it, doing it, are yes. hard because it takes yeah. a physical yeah. effort to go actually yeah. do it. It make takes yourself, hours. It takes you know physical effort to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. It's. Mm-hmm. I, I think I was talking. I think I was talking to somebody yesterday at the show, and it was so cool because he came up and he was like, he was like, dude, he's like. He's like, I listened to one of your podcasts. He's like, and then I went out and killed a deer that next day. He's like, and I just walked and I found the deer, set up a stand, and I killed the deer. And he's like, and he's like, it's my biggest buck. <laughs> and he's like, literally shocked. He's like, I've been hunting 30 years. And I just never looked at it like that. Yep. And he's like, I always was like, uh, taking he's, time, he's overanalyzing. The edges. Yeah, yeah, just overanalyzing. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, it's it's when I started being more aggressive, like probably the past two years, I finally got to a point to where I was like, all right, I'm just going to start trusting myself a little bit more. I haven't killed a deer in two years. Well, actually, I did last year, but didn't this year. But I actually had more encounters with better deer. Yeah. The past yep. the past yep. two years once I started doing that. Well, and I think what happens and we've you know, a lot of us have encountered it or talked about it. I know uh, personally, I've heard you talk about it a couple of times on different podcasts that you can. You can spend like weeks and weeks, like kind of pussyfooting around, mm-hmm. and then you you may run out of e time, vacation time from yeah. your job, and you're like, ah, damn, I didn't kill him. Yep. If you just were like day one would have went in there, guns a blazing, balls out. Now yep. I got 13 days to go relocate another one. Yeah, you know, um, yep. and it's yeah, I think that's one of the things I know I've heard you say. It's like I'll just I'll go find another one, right? And it's just it's, and people sometimes it, and, and sometimes, sometimes, it sometimes it's not yeah, right, it doesn't right. happen, but yeah. it's like bumping birds when you turkey hunt. Yeah. Well, that's. A, I mean, there's a lot of birds out there, but <laughs> right. you get those guys who are like, "Where are we going? You want to get like as close to the roost tree as possible? Like, well, yeah, let's just set up like let's let's you know. So let's we're there the when they fly down. Well, what if we kick them up? Who, okay. gives, who gives a shit? Yeah, we'll go find, another, go find another bird. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's yeah. now it's a little different when you got a you know a buck you've been hunting for 17 years or something like yeah. these these guys are are, are waiting for and yeah. Right. I, I mean, to that point, I would say, you know. <clears throat> Don't get so romantic and fall in love with with a specific deer if you can't yeah. if you know you can't get on them because of property because of access yeah if he's not location. killable move on yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like the hot chick yeah <laughs> yeah if you can't date her move on yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. there's take another what, hot chick out take there what you can get yeah that's right right, right exactly yeah I did I've, that enough in college yeah I fell I fell in love with <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, we're going to make a hard transition yeah, before, yeah. We, before any of us get ourselves in trouble. <laughs> uh, all right, so this one's kind of, a, I guess, a, a maybe a moral or dilemma or whatever. But Did this you say moral dilemma, moral dilemma. Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah, we're going to get deep and philosophical here, maybe a little bit. Not really. No. Okay. No, he just says he's seen an article recently that the fascination of antler inches is ruining hunting. He says, "How do we feel about that? About that statement?" So, whoever wants to take, I'll, I'll, I'll take it first. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take this okay. first. All right. All right. I think um, I don't think it ruins hunting, mm. right? Because as men, as providers for family, I think there's a competitive nature in our DNA, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that you should hunt for your own personal reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. Whether that's me, whether that's enjoying time out in the woods. For me personally, and I've I've I've, I've said this publicly. You know, killing a mature deer, and not a deer based on inches, is like the political thing to say that's right. not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hold out and shoot a seven-year-old 130 inch deer if there's a 160 inch four-year-old that i can kill right it's for me it is inches yeah and right. that's why i haven't killed deer in four years because i have that you know yeah my story is a little bit crazy the deer that i've killed when i was younger and then trying to step it up, up yeah. or live up to that or yeah. or or do better yeah because like, it's not an easy thing to do so yeah whether people like it or not, for me, it's inches. Yeah. It's just, so, it is what it is. And like, and like Chad just said, I mean, hunting is, is a violent thing. You know what yeah. I mean? You're taking something's life. And, and I think uh, the reason why all of us hunt the way we do and we all have similar strategies that we're pushing it and going deeper, going farther into the timber mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So, like, it is that kind of alpha male type thing. So, right. yeah, you want, I like big inches on, on antlers. Um, I like mature deer because that's just that's the challenge side of it. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're they're older, they're smarter. Um, but I've I always just, said I it publicly: agree. if there's a 180 inch buck and he's got spots on him, I'm mm-hmm. shooting him. Right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You, I, anybody, any, anybody who comes in and and starts talking about that, that is the worst thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I let him go because he's he's two and a half. No. And you're no. looking at a picture of it, and it's like. It's good deer. 186 inch six point. Yeah. Right. Well, he was only. He was only. Yeah. Just, Did you really? That's yeah. what I mean. That's Did like you really? The, it's yeah. a political cop out, right? Yeah, it, like, is. it is. It is. Like, and I, I'm not saying I'm competing against John or I'm right, competing right, against right. Cody or competing against Clint. It's like it's we a competition all have a, we inside all have ourselves. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, that competition. Yeah. yeah. Do you not want to do better? I yeah. mean, yeah. I, I totally get it for people who get out in the woods. I love being out in the woods. I, yeah. I don't. Uh, there's. I don't not love being out in the woods. Um. And I get it for the guys who do be out in the woods. Uh, and I get it for the guys who are hunting harder ground to kill deer or the mm-hmm. deer that aren't there. But on the same side, you know, if, if, if you want to be a lion, then train with the lions. Yeah. I mean, the, you yeah. know, if you want to kill a 180-inch yeah. buck. That, that right there you, is the quote of the podcast. <laughs> if you want to be a lion, be a lion. Train yeah. with the lions. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's to that point. No disrespect to anybody, but I hear a lot of guys. And there's a lot, there's a lot to this. But I hear a lot of people that aren't positioned. They're not hunting that great of properties. <laughs> and, you know, they might not be killing deer that often. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I tell them, I said, you know, you know, if you can't expect to be killing big deer if they're not there. So yep. what you have to do, if that's what you're obtaining, if you want the big antlers, you have to look for different ground. Yep. Mm-hmm. Whether that's find a lease, go hunt public, wait yep. four years and go to a state that, that limits out-of-staters. I mean... There are things you can you can do. Yeah. Um, you know, you can make your own luck. Yeah. If you know, like I said, if you know, it, you got to put yourself in those positions. Like, don't don't use the cop out of age. 
Don't yeah. use the cop out of the ground you're hunting. If yeah. you don't like the ground you're hunting, then get the fuck out. Yeah, yeah. If it's that hard to hunt that yep. you have to tell everybody how hard it is to hunt before you tell any story about hunting, right. then go find an easier piece to hunt. Correct. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. hey, oh, I want to tell you about my season. Keep in mind that I hunt southern Florida. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's not a tree there. There's a bunch of asterisks there, that come along with there, the story. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, and I'm thinking, and, uh, you know, I'm, I had a conversation the other day about this at the show. And I, I love talking to guys at the show. And then, like, oh, yeah, what, you know, this or that. And he's telling me about this farm that he hunts in Texas. <clears throat> or I don't know where it was, Texas, Louisiana or something. And he's telling me about, like, the last four years. And I was like, dude, I was like, why are you hunting there? Yeah. Well, why wouldn't I hunt? I'm like, from, you just told me the saddest story I've ever heard yeah, in my yeah, life. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it makes me want to sell my bow. <laughs> I was like, get to a different state, you know, move around. Right. Um, so, you know, with that being said, back to the original question, I don't even know what, where I went with that. But, but I loved um, it. Yeah. Uh, it, it it's, there are things, you know, prioritize. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, okay, well, I don't have the, you know, I don't have the, the money to afford a lease. There's awesome pieces of public. Yeah. In, yeah. States, yeah. It's free. in all states like, owners. Yeah, yep. in states like, like, like Kansas or states like, you know. Over-the-counter tags. Over-the-counter mm-hmm. tags. Um, you know, I mean, even Iowa, if you're, if you're waiting for that draw, it's a little bit more expensive. There's phenomenal pieces of public ground in yeah. Iowa that you could you could go, you could I'm, do your research. I'm doing Iowa public yeah. land next year. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. it. You know what I mean? It's and and it's one of those deals where, um, uh, you know, the rack inch. It always sort of upset me a little bit that guys would would downplay somebody for looking for a more mature whitetail, or even the the trophy hunting aspect in general. Like, you know, oh well, you just want a trophy to hang on your wall. Like, you know, so th- that that deer, that buck, that is timeless. On my wall, I enjoy it. Every time yep. I look at it, yep. I think of that story. Think of the home. It, my, my, you know, I mean, that that's like a shrine to that deer. What better way to honor a deer's life than to yep. mount that thing on yeah. your wall and, yeah. and, like, see it every day? I mean, the feelings that I get when I look at my mounts, I I, I know the, how I felt. I know when it happened. I know how I made it happen. I mean, all yeah. that stuff resonates so deep with me, you know. And, and the fact that, now, I eat the deer I kill, yep. so for the fact that you to come at me like, oh, you just care about inches. Well, well yes, I care about inches. I yeah. want a bigger deer. Yeah. Right. Like, that's my personal goal. I strive for, I strive for big horns, you know. Um, I strive to kill specific deer. I strive to kill them close, in proximity. Like, those are the things that I want to get out of hunting, so who yeah. are you to tell me that that's, that's yeah. the wrong thing? You know, right. it's, I, it's, I mean, that's, I, that's the point right there, right? Because I had a conversation with someone, it was like two, two weeks ago, and it was, it's equally as wrong for me to project my goals onto them and say if i want to hold out for a bigger deer a more mature deer i shouldn't i shouldn't tell you that you should yeah. right yeah. and, and it's, it's well, in the same breath if that's not what you if you want to hunt for meat sure i'm all for it but don't tell me that that should be what i'm doing yeah. you know what i mean so yeah. i think yeah. it's just a little bit of i think what it comes down to honestly is just a mutual respect between hunters to let each and every one of us have yeah hunting and make it be what it is we want it to be in our own way well, everybody right? that should be fine for everybody, everybody. bought their own tag and yep. they get to use that tag however they want to use it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, we would all, I think it's a, 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 I'll speak for everybody, I think, here. We all would hope that everybody would, you know, not shoot spikes and, you know, right, button bucks right. and stuff like that. Um, but it's their tag. If they do it, I, you know, I didn't buy their tag for them, and I don't, and I don't own the deer. Right. And talking about, you know, the uh, making those choices and, like, manning up and doing whatever it takes, I left northern Kentucky's a pretty good buck spot. Mm-hmm. But to make it a great buck spot, I needed to buy land, and land's very expensive there. And right. the public is not that great there. And you can knock on as many doors, and it was just locked up. So right. I made the decision. I wanted to go to a big buck state where I could go shoot big antlers, you know. So I moved to gravel roads. The 
satellite Wi-Fi, the worst <laughs> internet in the world, right. and cell phones that don't work. Yeah. That I said, you know what? If I'm going to go shoot big bucks, I got to go to big buck right. country. So I made some yeah. sacrifices, and yeah, I mean, it was like uh, you know having that conversation with the wife, like, hey, babe, vehicles will never be clean again. We're going to dial it. We will Dude, never sucks, watch Netflix ever. Doesn't that suck? <laughs> it does kind of suck. You know, so I, I, I think to answer this dude's question, like really simply, is that it's not the fascination. No, it's not no, the fascination of antlers is not ruining the sport. It's everyone's opinion about everyone else's hunting style. Is yeah, what is well, that the and like whatever it is, pound it. Yeah. Whatever it is that you're striving for, just own it. Like, yeah, you yeah, don't yeah, have yeah. to. Ha- you don't have to right. have those copycat answers. Yeah. <laughs> that you're doing something else because someone else is doing it. Just yeah, own yeah. your shit and talk about well, it. Well, and I'll I'll throw one other word out there: jealousy. Oh yeah, uh, you know, a guy doesn't kill a big buck, and you know, I don't care. The, co- the competitive nature always ends up breeding a little bit of jealousy. Somebody's doing better or they got access to better ground. Well, well, I could have killed that if I had access to that right. ground. I'll tell go you this, man. Ground, the guys, you know? well, like, the thing is, the guys who are good hunters, like you could drop dudes that are killers from any state. From Iowa, if they hunt in Iowa and they sure. kill big deer, you could put them in Pennsylvania. And if they're a good hunter... They're going to kill, kill the bigger buck. the bigger deer yeah. in Pennsylvania, right? It might not be the same caliber yeah. as what they would kill. That's in, how uh, I know I'm Iowa. not a good hunter because <laughs> I haven't killed big bucks in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going to try my hand at it next year. But we have just a couple minutes here before we're going to hit the national anthem and, and kick yeah. off this show. So before we do that, I want to give everyone a chance here, an opportunity to kind of tell us where we can find out more about you and, and what you got going on. So, Cody, we'll start with you. Yeah. Um, you can check out info at... Uh, uh, for custom gear and the new products like the stands and stuff we're doing <clears throat> at um, uh, lonewolfcustomgear.com and also anything on the XOP end of things uh, at xopoutdoors.com and we're on Instagram, Facebook, I like. Uh, anything you want to follow me personally, you know, my name, Cody DeQuisto on Instagram, I, I try and put up some stuff there. So, yeah, whatever uh, whatever you feel the, the need to kind yeah. of peruse. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Utah? Um, Arrow Wild TV on Facebook, Carbon TV, YouTube. Instagram, um, myself personally, Instagram, Johnny Utah Hunt, um, and, you know, some of the brands, obviously, that I'm here with um, this week, Wicked Tree Gear and Glacier Coolers set up at the Great American Outdoor Show. And then Rodeo, you're kind of like the the the, uh, the honorary third captain of this <laughs> ship. Of course, ExodusOutdoorGear.com, Exodus Trail Cameras on social Exodus Trail Cameras on YouTube. Make sure you check this stuff out. And Trail Cam Radio, new podcast. We just started, I don't know, four or five months ago. And then uh, my personal stuff, um, Sylvester underscore Chad on the IG. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to say thanks to you guys for jumping on. Thanks Appreciate for it. doing Appreciate this. It. This was cool. Sir. Had a good time. And uh, all you guys out there listening know where you can find me. So thanks for listening. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank the fellows for joining, and be sure to head over to check out the Lone Wolf Custom Gear. Uh, they're doing a lot of cool things, of course, in the in the mobile tree stand scene that Cody is and his family, of course, are a part of. So be sure to check them out. They'll have some products. Uh, that they have products up on the page or on the website now, and then they'll have more information there coming soon as far as like when release dates are and so forth. We'd, of course, like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for us. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. 
Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Anymore. And long time coming if it all. It takes a special knowing to call a fall. Damaged heads, broken letters. Nationalize yourself in numbers. But I gotta get All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.